0: Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager here at BlackBot, and your host for this Nonprofit Technology Podcast. This is episode 15 for September 2nd, 2008. Before we get rolling, I'd like to introduce today's small but powerful panel. We have with us Steve McLaughlin, as usual, the Director of Internet Solutions. Hey, Chad. Hello, Steve. Back from Australia and fully recovered? Maybe? Maybe. Right. Yes, that takes a while. Anyway, you can find Steve at uh, blackbot.com slash connections or twitter.com slash s And joining us via Skype is Allison Van Deest from an undisclosed location somewhere in Charleston. <laughs> uh, hi, Allison.
1: Hi, Chad.
0: Thanks for joining us. Um, she is the marketing manager for Blackbot Interactive. And you can find her blogging at blackbot.com slash Netwits and twitter.com slash Allison and joining us on the podcast for the first time today is Melissa Dodge, the PR and media coordinator here at Blackbond. Hello. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you. Yes, you're a longtime lurker, first-time podcaster. Um, you've actually been in the room a couple times, I think, when we've taped, mm-hmm. so, um, but first time on the horn, so um, glad to have you.
1: Thanks. Part of the 90%, huh, that uh, just hangs out and listens. Exactly.
0: So, yeah, That's now she's me. crossed into that nine, right? Crossing over. Um, okay. Welcome. Yes. Thank you. So, uh, she can find her blogging at com slash news and at twitter.com slash melissa do. That's Dia. <laughs> anyway, so I thought we'd go ahead and get started. We thought we might be having a hurricane episode this week. So, um, we have Gustav rolling up through the Gulf and Hannah on the way. Yep. So, all the models, and I think we got a couple behind her right? Ike. Ike, Josephine, yeah, I and mean, Tina. We're having a party here in the Atlantic Basin, and uh, all the audience is invited, of course. So if Hannah does make it here, we will be maybe evacuating this this week and Friday. Looks okay right now. So we thought this might be a good chance to talk about disaster fundraising, sort of how your nonprofits can be ready if something like this happens to uh, get the call out. And uh, Steve, we were chatting a little bit about this before the show about how a nonprofit should maybe have some of their materials ready if they are going to be looking towards uh, supporters to donate during a disaster
2: yeah I think there's a, a myth or a bit of a misconception that nonprofits wait around for these you know things to happen and then there's a, a big rush at the end to be prepared for disaster scenarios and certainly, you know, Blackbot works with a lot of relief organizations, whether it's domestic or or international. And the trend that we see when we work with those customers is always recommending there's a lot of these things you can have prepared in advance, just like you would prepare, you know, physically to have supplies and relief material and those kinds of things in the in the offline world. In the online world there's a lot of preparedness that you could do as well. And so that whole concept of having an email campaign set up and ready to go with the, the list segmentation and all those things already prepared in advance. The special giving landing pages prepared in advance, the donation forms, um, the request more information, the volunteer sign-up forms. All that stuff can be prepared in advance. Um, the only... You know, variable is plugging in the name of the tropical storm, the name of the hurricane, the date, but everything else can be very canned in advance. And and that's one of the sort of secrets behind effective online fundraising as a result of a crisis, an emergency, a disaster. You actually can be really prepared for this stuff, um, and, and that's the difference between the organizations that are very successful at doing this type of response online and, and those that don't is is the ones that prepare ahead of time I suppose.
0: And I suppose that's because they have a chance to massage the message and get everything vetted and proofread and figured out before it goes out the door, right?
2: Certainly. And for a lot of these organizations because of the nature of the programs and services that they provide, it's not an if, it's a when for right. them. It's when these things are going to occur. And so there's, you know, you can put all those things together much more in advance so that you're prepared to be able to respond. And I think, if anything, over the past three years with events like Tsunami, Katrina, 9-11, so on and so forth, there's almost an expectation on the part of the general public of, okay, so I'm hearing about something that's newsworthy and happening. Where could I go to give? There's almost more of a, a culture out there of people having an expectation of, well, where could I go to help? And your ability to have that stuff together very, very quickly, I think, is important.
1: And along those lines, you want to, as you're preparing your kit, if you will, um, have your most staunch supporters prepared about where they can direct their networks to give because you might be either having your hands full or maybe displaced yourself. Um, There's lots of people out there with mobile technology that will probably pick up the slack for you in the interim if they have the tools um, ready so that they can do that.
0: Right. No, it's a great point about mobile technology, both from I think the giving perspective and from the engagement perspective. You think about a hurricane, and if you still got you know your cell phone service up and running, you can actually be tweeting or posting from an environment out to people that may want to donate, right? So you can sort of get real time feedback of what's going on in the event that isn't from the media, um, which I think is another big advantage as well.
2: There's also the the technology aspect of it too. This is something that we learned from customers. In New Orleans, when Katrina came through and and from talking with those customers about what worked and what didn't, beyond just the web stuff, could we get an email out to supporters, was the website up, there were the other technological aspects of, you know, well, our web host was in this area and there was no power for... A week or two weeks. And so if you don't have power, it's hard to send email off of a server if you're hosting that physically there or the issue of around contact numbers and mobile phones. You know, if you're running an organization and you're trying to contact volunteers, your ability to have access to mobile phone information, that that up-to-date in your, your system of record is really, really important. And that's you know, really, really important, especially when, when these events happen, your ability to get access to that stuff no matter where you are. And also your uh, your staff
0: as well. I know, you know, we were reviewing our disaster recovery plan here about how we're all going to communicate with each other. Should be, you know, just be dispersed across the country? And I think that's an important piece, too.
2: Is Twitter part of that?
0: It isn't yet, but you know what? I have a feeling we'll be uh, communicating to a lot of our, our, our followers that way about what's going on. I know uh, Twitter's perfect for hurricanes. I caught a lot over the weekend from Gustav. That was kind of fun. Hmm speaking about real-time fundraising and disaster fundraising, I think we could move into Beth Cantor's experiment she had at Gnome Dex a week and a half ago. She did some uh, Twitter fundraising online, which was really cool. Did anybody here catch that? Yeah, um, I was actually, Oh, man, it's so cool. It was. I caught uh, caught the live stream. I think Scoble posted on Twitter, and it was uh, on Ustream.tv, which is really cool technology. So, so I was watching her, hearing what she was saying, and I uh, decided to go ahead and actually donate it. I'm not afraid to admit it. just wanted to be a part of it and kind of see what happened. And it ended up being this really cool experiment in real-time fundraising. And it ended up being very successful. Beth actually put up a sort of analysis on the post or about what happened on her blog a couple of days ago. It was really insightful. She came up with sort of a step-by-step recipe for doing this kind of fundraising called the Amore Step-by-Step Recipe, which is very cool. Some really good insights there. One thing I really wanted to point out, though, um, a lot of people were kind of asking her, is this sort of a one-time thing? Like, can this be repeatable, right? Um, this is a very tech-savvy group. She was talking to a lot of people in her personal network. And it was very successful. So can that be repeated outside of that environment? I guess it has been by an organization called Flower Dust. They raised eighteen hundred dollars and eighteen hours. So it can happen. What do you guys think about this kind of fundraising? Oh,
1: I bad. think that point is great about, you know, the concern that, that they all knew each other and they all had a common denominator and, and that's something that you want in this type of Um, Whether it's, you know, buddies sharing information or everybody in the room is joined by, you know, the fact that they love technology and then did this for an experiment's sake, just sort of blank anonymous fundraising through mobile or any other technology is not going to work these days. So right she mentioned in
0: her post this guy named Dave Delaney who was actually in the room there um, he attributed this to this trust economy which is a really cool like metaphor if you've heard that before um, it's sort of like you know when you hear some of these appeals come out on Twitter you know you're not sure you know you're following a lot of people you don't know whether to trust them but if someone in your circle mentions it then you're more likely to donate so this guy was talking about how he had seen Beth before on Twitter but hadn't done anything even though she's put some uh, appeals out there before but then Chris Brogan who he knows tweeted it out and he immediately did it because he had that trust factor that's sort of a key I think ingredient when you're looking at these you know social network based asks, right, is to make sure that you trust the person on the other end.
2: I think it's true. Um, What you've, what you have is, for a long time we've talked about this concept of people-to-people fundraising, which uh, there's a great book called that available at your local (laughs) bookstore on Amazon.com. And, uh, and the book, there's a lot of different parts of the book that talk about uh, this notion of people connecting with other people to do fundraising. You combine that sort of scoop of interesting use of technology with social media and you start to see why you could use social media to accelerate the people-to-people fundraising because traditional people-to-people to fundraising, you know, it's the walkathon, bullathon, marathon. I'm walking in this event. I'm participating in this event. I'm going to email my friends, family, associates. Will you please give? And that's always been an effective way of fundraising acquisition because it's the personal connection. It's not the you know American Lung Association who's sending you an email. It's Chad. It's mm-hmm. Allison. It's Bob. Right. Um, what you find with social media is. Same concept, except it's accelerated. It's something like Facebook or Twitter or social thing or whatever somebody invents tomorrow that accelerates that communication loop because I may get that Twitter message um, a lot quicker while I'm checking something out and I'm used to following someone's feed. I'm more in touch with them. I know who they are. They're a bit more of a trusted source um, and I don't have to have their email address. I can use a non-email related communication channel to reach out to people and and raise things. Now, there, you got to sort of take the fact that Beth is very well known in the nonprofit world, and everyone she was talking to are all highly wired individuals who are in tune with what's happening, but it dis- doesn't discount what they were able to do in a very short period of time for a good cause. Right. And I think by using the transitive property, I
0: think this worked one step further as well. It didn't just reach like sort of her friends, right? You know, she She put out the message to her friends, and then those friends put it out to their followers, right? And there was a couple examples she wrote about where someone actually – that she didn't know at all, you know, donated because, oh, you know, my niece is from Cambodia. So she just felt like, you know, a connection to the ask, right, even though she'd never even heard of Beth, but because one of her friends had asked, it sort of, like, kept that chain going. i just curious how far that can go before it sort of loses its legs. You know what I'm talking but about? But I think it has
1: a little bit to do still with the fact that whoever sent it to the person who has a niece in Cambodia knew that detail about that person. Right. And so whether or not they knew Beth or anything about the exact organization that was raising these funds, it's you know, you have information on individuals, you have relationships, you know what makes them tick, and so you know exactly when and how to ask, and that's what makes it effective.
0: Now, is this only happening with these online technology-based platforms, or does this happen with direct mail? I mean, does anybody ever get a direct mail and uh, go and talk to their neighbor? Hey, I really think you'd be interested in this. Um, If it did, you can't track it, true.
1: Right. I mean, it's it's what we've created tools to enable, but um, it's hard to track.
2: I don't know if anybody can necessarily measure the elasticity of these linkages. You'd have to get an economics professor and a sociologist, but Mm -hmm. lots of organizations raise a tremendous amount of money from using this approach, and there doesn't seem to be a limit in sight, and that's given there's, you know, in the U.S. there's, what, 300 million people? How many of those people have even sort of been contacted sure. in this way? So I think there's a lot of, of opportunity there. I think, naturally, people would probably only want to be bombarded so many times, right? The tenth time I get asked for something. Your social I've, network's not your mailing list. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the social network's not the mailing list. But, it doesn't mean I may not do it the first few times and I may pass that on to other people who pass it on to other people. That's the advantage. That's the, say, yeah. that's the mechanical advantage in the system of I may not be interested in all these things, but I may send this to other people who that may be their first time connecting with that organization. Mm-hmm. And you think about if you were to attempt to do that through traditional fundraising methods, it would be next to impossible to do either cost or resource-wise. Yep. Um, that's, that's the real power and advantage.
1: Right. Before social networks, you had to do it on the golf course. You were limited to a few major donors, but now it sort of brings that same um, deeper connections, understanding of one another, sharing networks and relationships down to kind of the everyman level.
2: Yeah, it's the difference between how many meaningful interactions can you have as an individual versus how many meaningful interactions can you and all the people you know have in one day. Right. Yep. Well, it also has some collateral advantages as well. She
0: closed up her blog post talking about how she got a lot of traffic to her blog. Right, So I think that's a way that nonprofits can sort of look at this as well. Traffic can increase engagement and increase donors as well. Even if they didn't donate as part of this experiment, a lot more people now know about Beth, a lot more people went to her site, and that could certainly translate to a nonprofit as well. You'd have a lot more eyeballs looking at your material than had you not done this.
2: So. Yeah, there are more metrics than just the monetary aspect Absolutely. of it that you should be looking at. What traffic gets generated, what email subscriptions get generated, what opt-outs get generated. You yep. want to look holistically across... All the statistics. It it will not always be a monetary piece. You know, people give time, talent, and treasure, and you need to be able to figure out what those metrics are.
0: All right, so speaking of driving more traffic to your site, um, I've been really sort of following this widget release by socialactions.com. It's a really cool sort of Google AdWords-inspired widget that you can put on your blog or website that basically will crawl the content on your page, find keywords that are related to nonprofit causes, and then display the AdWords-looking ads for that nonprofit that people can then click through and go to the nonprofit's website. So very cool, slick little idea. It was promoted a lot last couple of weeks. I saw it on Dig and Twitter and everywhere else. Um, it's just a great example, I think, of nonprofits finding another way to um, get their message out without having to spend a ton of money. A- Allison, did you check this out?
1: I did. And um, I think, again, what's remarkable about it is the use of technology to link, you know, Causes to things that people actually care about and are actually talking about. It's it's not artificial. It's generated by the, um, you know, the content that's in the blog. And uh, hopefully, if you're reading the blog, then you're interested in what's going on there, and the, the ad is going to be very appropriate to you, and an opportunity to interact is going to be really exciting to you.
0: Right. I mean, some of the examples they showed were really excellent. And I, I kind of wonder how nonprofits will feel about having sort of some competitors maybe listed along you know, with them. Does that ever bother nonprofits?
1: You know, it's remarkable that so many still don't really see um, other nonprofits that are competing for dollars in a similar space as a competitor. So um, the hope is that just by nature of being a nonprofit, um, they are more about cooperating and collaborating and and less about considering it competition. So hopefully it won't bother them as much as maybe it would bother a uh, for-profit organization.
0: Right. Now, Google actually has a program called Google Grants, it kind of works the same way.
2: I just I think it's cool that they give away –
0: I mean, it's up to $10,000 a month for a nonprofit for three months.
2: There's a bit of a disclaimer because we've talked with, with customers about who've used Google Grants successfully. Okay. Keep in mind – there is an application process and they do sure? review it yeah. and not everyone gets one it's a great idea yeah way it's a real grant program i mean yeah i almost i you know we've worked with a lot of customers who've used google adwords sort of a paid campaign to do things and you know you can set it up in ways where you can limit how much you're spending and it can be a great way to sort of play around with some search terms that you know cuz google will tell you hey number of people are looking for community foundation minnesota and you know, you'd be able to get a sense for how many people were looking for those kinds of search terms, you can measure how much you would actually spend. But they do get a lot of results on the AdWords side as well.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, we use AdWords here, and and I do know that there's a lot of statistics inside of that that you can really get at. It'd be an interesting way to sort of, if you're a nonprofit and you actually want to use AdWords to promote your nonprofit by paying, it'd be a cool way to sort of pilot the program as well to kind of figure out what works, when it works, and there's a lot of attributes you can change there, so... All right, well, I thought we'd go to Melissa Dodge now for some Blackbaud-related news, kind of seeing what's going on in the home front. Melissa?
3: Well, as most of you probably know, Blackbaud will host the NetWits Live event at the Hilton Portland Hotel and Tower in Oregon on October 2nd. This is a free event that will include sessions on social networking, email best practices, direct communication, and more. Our very own Allison Van Deist will be presenting the right message, the right people, the right time,
1: making the most of email. Um, I just can't wait to go to Portland for my first time. It's going to be fantastic. And we're also going to have um, Holly Ross joining us. She's uh, the executive director of N10, and we're extremely excited about her session on social networking and our very own Chad Norman, as yes. we were going to mention. Yeah. will also be a featured speaker.
0: I'm very excited to yeah, go to Portland. I've never been will. as well.
1: He
3: will be, uh, well, Chad, I guess you can tell it for yourself, but the World Wide Web Show, Turn Your Staff into Stars with the Real-Time Social Web.
0: Yeah, it definitely will be including a little snippet about what Beth just did a week and a half ago as well. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I'm going to be talking about, and just sort of the tools you can use to get that done.
3: For complete session descriptions and to register for NetWits Live, visit blackbot.com slash NetWits Live. We will also be updating that with any new information that comes up about NetWits Live. Join us in London for BlackBod's 2008 conference for not for profits. It is October 20th through 21st at the Victoria Park Plaza. For more information, visit blackbod.co.uk. Then, after that, is the BlackBod's conference for nonprofits in Charleston, November 16th through the 19th, with the theme of Experience, Learn, and Network. If you don't want to miss out and you haven't registered yet, you can be placed on the waiting list by emailing conference at Blackbaud is opening the first ever developer network challenge where Allison can tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Um, sure. So we are actually having a contest where anyone who wants to can build a customization or application to run off the Blackburnnet community platform, and we hope we get a lot of exciting entries. And to make it really sweet, the winning programmer is going to get a new iPhone. And in order to make it worthwhile for the organization to let that programmer work in a little bit of uh, company time, we are um, giving that organization free maintenance for a year on BlackBondNet Community. So it's a win-win situation, um, not just for the developer and the organization, but for the whole community to hopefully get to take advantage of a lot of cool, new, free customizations.
3: And finally, N10's Rate Your Donor Management Software survey is up. It's your chance to help evaluate donor management software vendors. Take the survey at N10.org. All
0: right. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to plug? Everybody's done. I've been playing with Google Chrome all day. That's been fun. I had for a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, for a couple hours. It's only been out a couple hours. Yeah.
1: I was saying I've started the push to get all of our doc and uh, release notes written in cartoon form after seeing that cool comic, so...
0: Well, that does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests Steve McLaughlin, Allison Van Deist, and Melissa Dodge. You can keep up with the podcast and other webby things by following me on Twitter at twitter.com slash chadnorman or by checking out my blog at blackbaud.com slash chadnorman. And if you have any feedback, please send us an email at podcast at blackbaud.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So until then, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to the podcast. I didn't read it either. I just read a lot about it. Yeah, that's how I read most of my books—about
2: books, books. <laughs> than the, the actual books themselves. <laughs> yes. Book honest, reviews in uh,
0: 140 characters or less.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I just—I didn't know if he could read. But. Yes.
0: No, I'm going to write a blog about that. I've read my last 60x books. I've read only one was fiction
2: over the last four. Wow. Years. Only one of them was fiction. Yep. Yeah. So you and I are in the same boat. Middlesex by Jeffrey. I don't read yeah. fiction. Real it. life is so much more interesting. I think I could segue this into. Uh, yeah, and don't put this at the end where the music is going over. at the be something uh, in here. <laughs> director's <laughs> cut.
0: I could probably sound something out of there. At least the part where we're
2: talking about books.